Lord, we love you. And uh, we ask tonight, Holy Spirit, you would come and release your presence on us. I am asking for the fire of God, the very flame of love, the fire of love to burn in our hearts tonight. I pray you draw us into passion. You bring us into light. You bring us into revelation. God, I pray you'd stir our hearts again. Stir up the flame. Come, Holy Spirit. I'm a needy man and I need you to come and be the instructor and the teacher tonight. Come and hold my hand, Lord. Release revelation on this place. This whole house, let this whole room come under the influence of the Spirit of God. Let this whole campus come under the influence of the Spirit of God. I'm asking you, release power on this place. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Turn with me uh, in your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 13. I'm going to uh, take a different course tonight than we've been on the last several weeks. I, uh, I got interrupted by the Lord this week. And, um, you know, it, it's not usually the most tidy thing when the Lord interrupts you. He doesn't mind coming in and messing things up in his own way. And, uh, and I'm just realizing sometimes if you want it neat and tidy, you know, God, you're, the, you're the one that God is, uh, he's going to definitely pick on you. <laughs> Because he doesn't mind causing things to be disheveled a bit. He is perfect, and, and, and his order is perfect, but his ways are not necessarily our ways. And I don't, I don't say that just to, uh, I know sometimes the guy is, you know, hasn't prepared and hasn't studied, and so he goes, you know, his ways aren't our ways, and he just preaches whatever because he hasn't prepared, and he blames it on the Lord. But uh, that, that's not where I'm at. I feel like my heart is full, but I feel like the Lord is intercepting me. And I want to um, take this evening and, and try to share with us what I feel like the Lord is saying to us as a community, saying to me and saying to us as a community. And, uh, and so I was in our section leaders meeting this past Monday, and I began to just uh, talk to them about uh, being a people that contend for breakthrough, that believe God and contend for the breakthrough of the Spirit of the Lord. And... Um, while I was talking to them, I, uh, the room got, I mean, the presence of the Lord came in the room, and, and I began to, to weep uncontrollably, uh, talking to our section leaders. Now, it's not, you know, totally out there that I would start crying. I, I've been known to cry from time to time. But uh, it was one of those... You know, it was a gully washer. It was one of those you can't, you can't quite hold on to it, you know. And I just, I was weeping under the spirit of the Lord and having to apologize because we weren't having a meeting anymore. We were just having the Lord and trying to deal with it and me crying. And uh, I felt the sobriety of, of God's presence come in there. And our, our section leaders witnessed to it. And, uh, and we were talking about this issue of breakthrough. Breakthrough in the spirit of God. And and what I began to explain was, you know, there's, there's basically uh, two streams in the body of Christ that uh, deal with the issue of revival. And one stream, they, uh, focused, they focus on uh, revival all the time. And they're looking, you know, to get revival, 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 revival. And then when they get a breakthrough of the Spirit of God, they ride out their breakthrough 
And uh, they will, many times they'll crash in between and they'll, they'll, you know, do everything they can to prop up their, their breakthrough. And if, if they can't prop it up, they'll crash in between until they can get another big uh, breakthrough, the spirit of the Lord. And they kind of go from mountaintop to valley, to mountaintop to valley, to mountaintop to valley. And I, and I know that stream really well because I, I was that. I, that's the way I lived for a, a long, long time, contending for revival. Then once we got a little bit of a breakthrough, we lived there. And then when the, when the phenomenon of God's presence would, would lift, we would crash real hard. And then there's, there's kind of this other stream, kind of where we live, is, and it's this, we believe in God's breakthroughs, but we're looking for the great breakthrough, the revival at the end of the age. We're looking for the great harvest. We're looking for what I like to call the big R. And uh, what will happen is this, whereas the, on the one hand, uh, the one group that's believing for breakthroughs right now, a lot of times they will get a little breakthrough and then they'll be disillusioned. And, and many times, I know because I, I have lived that way, many times you sort of just live shallow in your knowledge of God. You just sort of live kind of like, um, you know, all you, all you have a theology for is revival or breakthrough. And so that's what everything is. And you get a little breakthrough and then you go crashing in between. And you're sort of shallow in your knowledge of God, but you're real aggressive in your uh, theology of revival. Well, on the other side, if, if you're contending for the only for the big R revival at the end of the age, and you don't ever try to get breakthroughs along the way, you kind of push off uh, this issue of breakthrough uh, into sort of this category of sovereignty. It's, if, if God's going to bring a revival, it's going to be something he does, and you sort of put it all over on the Lord, and you don't have any sort of responsibility uh, yourself for it, and uh, you kind of can get into this place of passivity in your, in your approach to the Lord. You can just kind of, well, we just we pray all the time, and God will do it when he wants, and, and then that's just how it goes. And I began to share this with our, uh, with our section leaders, and, and I began to share with them that I realized that I feel like the Lord is trying to take both of those realities and marry them and make them a uh, sort of one reality where, there's, where there would be a people in the earth that understand what God is doing at the end of the age. They have a, a long-haul mentality, 30, 40 years, believing for the, for the Lord to return, for end-time judgments, great harvest, uh, and, and uh, the return of the Lord to the earth. But that group would also position their hearts with a spiritual aggression, believing for continual breakthroughs, believing for continual visitations of of power and the manifestation of the kingdom of God, stringing together visitations of God like pearls on a string until the entire necklace is complete and we have the Lord returning on the earth with with great power, signs, wonders, and miracles. and, and that the, the two realities, they wouldn't be separate from one another. They'd be one reality, and we would be trained in continual breakthroughs unto massive global revival at the end of the age. And as I was sharing these things with our section leaders, it just began to become uh, uh, clear to me that uh, the Lord, he has, uh, well, he's really smart, and he knows how to, um, to do with you what he wants to do. And it just became clear to me that the Lord has sort of set me up for this. And uh, this idea that I'm talking about. And I, and I began to go through uh, the process of, of my Christianity. Of, of, you know, the first five years of, 
of what I was uh, doing in the Lord and then the next 10 and then the next five and how the Lord has sort of strung these things together. And, and I just want to say this. I was in that room with those section leaders and I was weeping and apologizing and it was untidy and it was a, a mess. And they kept saying, don't apologize, don't apologize. But uh, this is kind of where I live. I live in this tension of being one that's been deeply impacted by moves of the Spirit of God. My experience has been where I've experienced the Lord come. Uh, in my mind, it's been multiple times with power and manifestation. Now, there's other people that have had way more than me. But in other words, I've gotten ruined enough because of a lot of different experiences that, that I'm... I contend in my heart, I live in this tension of always wanting to see the breaking of the power of the Lord. I don't, I, you know, I'm not one that just sort of gets satisfied with doing church as usual. Um, you know, for years I've called it little dab will do you Christianity. You know, you just get a little dab of Jesus, just put a little bit on you, and it's just enough, and you're sort of like, you know, that's enough, and we can go home. You know, we came, had a service, got a little bit of God, and go home, and we'll just do it again next week. And that has always been the most frustrating thing for me, because God's not a little dab will do you God. God is like a beyond measure God. He is way beyond all that we can ask or think. He is, you know, David said his greatness is unsearchable. I mean, he is way past uh, even our own conception. And, and, and if God were to come in even like, you know, uh, 10% sort of a way, it would short circuit all of us. You know, if we got the 100% version, the planet would cease to exist because it would just, you know, burn up with fire because God's powerful. But even if we got the 10% version, I don't think we could, we could take it. And I've always kind of had that in my mind. Like, God is a God. If, if he really came, flesh would go. If he really came, we wouldn't be able to, to bear it. And, um, and so I started thinking about how it is the Lord kind of put me together. And, and I'm just going to I'm just talk. I'm just going to testify. I'm not going to be really theological tonight. I'm just sort of testifying. And then I want to draw us in and, 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 and call us to contend for breakthroughs. And, uh, and so I started thinking about, um, you know, when I first got saved. And I was a student, and uh, I went to the University of Georgia. And um, I remember getting saved. And the, and the main thrust of the teachings that I had for the first uh, five years of my Christianity was uh, the word of faith. And, um, you know, some like it, some don't like it. Um, say what you will about it, but I will tell you this, for, uh, and some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but the, the main message that I took away from those five years of, of studying faith was this, that the truth that I'm to govern my life by is the scripture, and that there is not a, a, another truth that I should govern my life by. And if the Bible says it, that's where I want to set my faith. I want to set the uh, the goal for my experience in this life by the scripture and not by anything else. And uh, I, they used to say, you know, you take the word and you hold on to it like a pit bull on a stake. And, and, and that, was, that was kind of the mentality. You just hold on to the word because the word is true. And we used to say, let God be true, but let every man be a... And we used to quote that verse and we said, okay, the word will work. If we'll hold on to the word, we will see the results. And, and, and I, have, I am so thankful forgetting that deep in my heart in the earliest days of my Christianity, because here's why. 
I find this, that many people, they will renegotiate their theology and what they believe the Bible promises. They will renegotiate it based upon their own experiences. In other words, the scriptures will say that uh, greater works than these shall we do, you know, that, that believe in Jesus. And at John fourteen twelve, he, he said, you'll do greater works than these. But when we don't see them many times with our own lives, many times we'll reinterpret it based on our experience and we'll lower the bar because our own experience doesn't match up to the scriptures. And I've just, I've just sort of drawn a line in the sand and said, you know what? Uh, you know, let God be true and let every man be a liar. Either the scripture is true or it's false. And I'm going to determine to believe that it's true regardless of what my experience is. And I'm going to lay hands on people believing that Jesus is the healer. A hundred may die when after I lay hands on them. They may not get healed. But guess what? That does not alter the truth of the word of God. The word is true 100% of the time regardless of what my circumstance demands. And, and so many times people... Christians, what we'll do is we will lower our expectation based on our circumstances and based on our experience. We'll we'll renegotiate what we believe the scripture offers and promises based on our lack of results. And I'm just determined to not do that. And I think those first five years, really just studying faith, I I remember... uh, Faith and evangelism, that's all it was. That's all I studied, that's all I knew. And I remember the, the guys in the college campus ministry that I was a part of, they used to show up at my door, and this is what they did. They were campus missionaries, they'd show up at my door, and they'd say, hey, let's go and preach the gospel to some people. And I said, all right. And we would pray, and we'd believe God for souls. That's where you get that term, from the word of faith. We believe God. <laughs> believe God for souls, and we'd go out on the campus, and we would just preach the gospel to anybody that would listen. And I remember that first year I got saved, uh, that I, I went out with these guys. I didn't know any better. I thought that's what you're supposed to do. If you get saved, you're supposed to go out and preach the gospel every day. That's what those guys were doing, so I figured that's what you're supposed to do. And uh, I remember that first year, um, I led 20 people to the Lord, just walking up to people going, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? Hey, you want to take a survey? <laughs> I mean, we used to do spiritual surveys and just leading people to the Lord all year. And, and that's, what, that's the way I lived that, that first five years, just focusing on faith. And it put that thing in my heart to say that regardless of what my experience is, the word of God is true. And then I remember uh, somewhere around 92, 93, I started getting gripped with this issue of revival. And I remember um, hearing stories of Rodney Howard Brown and, and, and different things about Benny Hinn and, and, and different uh, you know, ideas about these, these uh, powerful things that were happening in, in meetings. And I remember hearing about the, the, the Toronto uh, renewal and later the Brownsville Revival. And I remember these things beginning to brand me. And I remember in 1996, the Lord took me into a season where he just really impacted my heart. And in about a six-month period of time, I read about 20, 25 books on historic revivals. And, uh, and it branded me. And for about, from about 93 to 2003, the main two focuses of my life at that time were revival and leadership. And this is the way I did the math. I figured, well, if we're going to have revival, we've got to figure out how to, how to lead all the people that are going to get saved. So we're going to go after revival, and we'll study leadership so we can, we can you know, shepherd those that come into the kingdom. And I figured that would be a good two-pronged approach. And, uh, and for 10 years, that's, that was the main course uh, for me, just leaning in hard, asking God for breakthroughs. And, uh, and I tell you, I didn't try to. 
But in that season, uh, the Lord really gave me a theology for revival, for breakthrough. And uh, we saw so many things happen with, uh, with our youth ministry. As, a, as I was a youth pastor for, for those years, um, so many different things happen. And, um, and we had seasons of visitation. And, uh, but but even, even aside from those seasons of visitation, the, the, uh, the general water level in our youth ministry was very high uh, compared to anything I've ever experienced. Um, it would be very normal to come into any kind of a, any service. And in any given service, people were getting healed. The power of God was being released. People would get delivered. Um, and, and people would get slain in the spirit. In any given service, just, just any time. We were experiencing, in a, in a small way, an open heaven. And uh, I remember for a long period of time, our greatest evangelistic technique was uh, the students would bring their friends to our youth group, and they'd say, hey, come to my youth group, and you'll experience God. And they'd bring their friends in and just have us lay hands on them, and the friends would get slain in the spirit, unsaved kids. Come in, we'd pray for them, poof, fall out under the power of God. They'd pull them up off the ground, and then start trying to talk to them about Jesus. Now, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's kind of hard to talk a guy out of, I mean, you, you mean it's, it's, sometimes it can be difficult to talk somebody into something, you know, and say, hey, God's real, he loves you. But when they've been knocked out, and then you have to pull them up off the ground, and then you can tell them about Jesus, he's the one that just knocked them down, it makes it a lot easier. And so uh, that was our flow. And then, uh, and then the, God, the, the Lord, he totally turned my world upside down in 2003. And the next thing I know, um, whereas I've been so aggressive for revival, he changes everything on me and my whole life turns upside down. And I, he calls me through a, a dramatic number of prophetic experiences, calls me to go to Kansas City and, and turn on and start a house of prayer here. And, you know, I was always one that believed, hey, we pray until we get a breakthrough. And I never envisioned myself sort of staying in you know, I figured, like, you birth it through prayer, and then you enjoy the baby. I didn't ever think, you know, we're going to stay in the birthing mode forever. You know, I just, it just, it didn't come into my mind. And, because um, I wanted breakthrough. And, uh, and I realized, you know, the Lord began to shift the things in my, in my understanding. But prayer isn't a means to an end, but prayer is the end itself. And uh, communication with God and, and understanding the knowledge of God and, and interfacing with the Lord in an intimate way is the sustaining realities of our heart and and, and that's how our heart stays alive. And, and I remember moving uh, to Kansas City in 2003, and the, it was like everything shifted. I remember sitting in uh, Bible studies with young people who were you know, 25 and 26 years old at that time. And, uh, and they'd been, some of them had been saved less time than I'd been in the ministry. I'd been in the ministry, I guess, at that time, about 10, 12 years, I guess. And... Uh, that I remember sitting there in these uh, Bible studies and these young people and they're, they're sharing the scriptures and they're quoting verses that I've never even considered with real authority and real understanding and, and they've got a depth in God. And all of a sudden, I, I'm having to come face to face with this. I've been the faith guy and I've been the revival guy and I've studied leadership, but here are young people who've got a depth in God and I had to just deal with the fact I am totally shallow, <laughs> Totally shallow in my walk with the Lord. And it was a crushing time for me. I, uh, three months in, I was just like, Lord, I, I can't do this. I don't know you. I don't know anything. And it was like the Lord speaking to my heart. He said, that's perfect. I've got you right where I want you. 
That's the only kind of person I can use is one that, you know, believes they need me. And so for the, the next, uh, you know, five, six years now, we have made the, the primary focus of our, of our attention on understanding who God is, proclamation of the knowledge of God, and going after two primary things, intimacy with the Lord and understanding his will and his plan in the earth at the end of the age. And, um, and for the last five, six years, that's been our, our primary focus. And, and one of the things that the Lord spoke early in the early days of planning the house of prayer was that this house would be built on the knowledge of God. And I loved what Charlotte testified tonight. She said, you know, I came in and I felt like I, I got entrance. I got a little bit of light into the, the knowledge of God and who God is. And so um, I look at those different ingredients over time and I, and I said, you know, Lord, I, you've, you've done too much. To, uh, to my life and to me, uh, I won't live forfeiting the end of the age by living shallow and only focusing on today. I won't forfeit what you're doing in the earth and what your plan is uh, for the end of the age and raising up end times messengers with authority on their voice and, and clearly understanding what God's doing in the earth to culminate this age and birth the next, the next age. I won't forfeit that by focusing only on tonight and today. But God, I can't forfeit today by only looking at the end of the age. And I believe the Lord wants to take both of those realities and marry them. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to figure it out, beloved. You know, we're, we're in process. We're not, we don't have all the answers. We're trying to figure this thing out. But I feel like a tension in my heart in between those two things. And I believe the Lord is trying to, uh, to release something uh, to us that, that does both. That we contend continually for a breakthrough of the Spirit of God while also having clarity and understanding of the end of the age. Where we don't get passive, we, we live with a, a, a hungry aggression in our hearts for the breakthrough of the Spirit now, while also having a view to what God is doing in the earth. And rather than forfeiting one for the other, we actually marry both realities and contend continually unto the great breakthrough that God's going to bring on the earth at the end of the age. He's going to string together many breakthroughs unto that final one. I believe that's what the Lord is, is trying to do and what he's trying to set us up with. Now I want to um, read these verses from Second Kings 13. Now, am I making sense? Is this communicating tonight? Okay. Verse 14 says, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. And then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Now Joash, is, he's the king of the northern kingdom. The ten tribes that are worshiping, really they're worshiping false gods. And the Bible says that Joash followed in the way of Jeroboam, the son of, uh, uh, of Nebat, and that he was 
doing wickedly in the eyes of the Lord. And, and, and Joash finds out that, that Elisha is at the end of his life. And he comes down and he tries to sort of cozy up to the prophet. It's kind of an interesting little thing because he's been uh, serving the Baals. And he, he finds out Elisha is sick with the sickness that'll, that will uh, lead to his death. And, and Joash says the very line that Elisha had said to Elijah when Elijah was taken by the Lord. Joash says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. He's quoting Elisha to himself. He's sort of putting on the religious face is what he's doing here. And the Lord knows the truth of this man's heart, but the Lord even offers this man, Joash, and the northern kingdom, he even offers him deliverance, even in a state of hypocrisy and and, uh, falsehood. And the Lord tells him, he says, I am going to bring deliverance for you from the Syrians. And the Syrians were the chief arch enemies of the northern kingdom. They were the, the, the number one problem makers and, and the no, number one sort of opponents of the northern kingdom. And so he says, I want you to take these arrows in verse 18. And so he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground that Now, the Hebrew term for strike literally means to beat continually. To beat continually. He says, strike the ground. And so he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. For then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Then Elisha died and they buried him. And it goes on. And I, I take from this passage a, uh, a really, really, really important principle as it relates to the issue of the move of the Spirit of God. Some put themselves in the place of believing, well, we just keep going until God sovereignly breaks in. Others believe it's totally dependent upon them to, to, to make something happen with God. And I would say this, that it's a both and. And this is just, this is one out of so many different passages that illustrate this. God will not do our job and we cannot do his. And here's what's going on here. The prophet gives the prophetic word to Joash and he says, strike the ground. The idea is continually take these arrows and beat the ground it's going to, and the idea is it's going to be a symbol of the deliverance that the Lord is, is offering you. And the Lord's offering you deliverance, Joash. Now take these arrows and beat the ground as a sign of the deliverance God's giving you. So Joash, though he's got his religious face on, his heart is, is not obviously uh, in tune with the, the prophetic word. He takes the arrows and he beats three times. And it angers the prophet. And the point is this. Had Joash taken the prophetic word seriously and began to beat the ground continually, had he been one that wouldn't have stopped when he got tired or when it seemed a little bit, you know, strange, had he continued to beat the ground continually, he would have positioned himself for massive deliverance from the Lord. Instead, he does it in a, in a manner that's sort of just, just what seems tidy and, and what seems like enough to, to humanize and, and instead the, the, uh, The divine response is this, you've limited, the idea is this, you've limited the move of the Spirit of God in your midst because you did not continue to strike. And I've looked at that verse over the years and 
I've always considered the activity, the sovereign operation of God saying, deliverance can be yours. Now, how much will you contend for it? The both and. I'm providing sovereignly by my hand breakthroughs of power. Now, will you contend? And I just say this over the years. I've, I've had many friends that contended for revivals and, and, and breakthroughs and had uh, prayer meetings and, and, and all sorts of things. And I've seen this over the years where many will start off and, and if, if we can use the metaphor as striking the ground, being like intercession and contending for revival, and they start off striking, continually striking, until either they begin to look a little strange to everyone else, and they begin to bear a reproach with it, and, and it just seems better if they just settle down and become a little bit more normal. So they'll quit striking, or I've seen them strike and strike and strike till they get a breakthrough. But because they don't have a depth in their heart and the knowledge of God, rather than just coming off the mountain and getting a, a good, you know, uh, uh, rhythm in their relationship and, and growing in God and intimacy until another breakthrough comes, they go from the mountaintop into a valley and they crash. And, um, and I've had men that I've run with in ministry and, and, and friends that, you know, they were the very ones on the front line Believing God for breakthroughs and, and only to find out just some time later that they were either uh, totally pulled off of, of seeing God move by his spirit and, and gone another route in terms of just, you know, we'll just do a sort of a Christian presentation and try to be slick and draw men to God. Or, and this is absolutely true, some are, are absolutely turned from the Lord. And, uh, and I just say this, I believe that the, uh, the Holy Spirit is the greatest evangelizer of the human soul. And I believe that the manifestation of the power of God to men is the greatest convincer. When God releases power and convicts the heart, I believe that is a far better approach than anything I can do to talk you in or some sort of presentation I can do to sort of influence your heart. And the challenge is this, that if I will set my face for the, for the real thing and I'll contend for revival, contend for a move of the Spirit, the real move of the Spirit of God, there becomes this place of pain that you hit. You begin to look weird to other people. You know, and I guess at this point in time in my life, I've just got to get to the place where, gosh, guess what, Humphrey? <laughs> you may not want to look weird, but guess what? Here's a little news. You are weird. You pray and fast all the time. You're already there, man. <laughs> like, don't worry about it anymore. But you begin, you can begin to look strange to people. And, they, and you don't make sense to people. And, and they don't understand why are you so aggressive. Why don't you just be satisfied? I mean, man, come on. There's two night and day prayer uh, places in the, in the whole nation. And you're one of them, man. Just, why don't you just settle in and be satisfied? And the reason that my heart is gripped is because of this. I, I didn't sign up just to have a cool prayer meeting. And I, I didn't sign up to build a ministry. I signed up with Jesus because I began to believe a long time ago that there was more available than what we're seeing manifest 
And the scripture promises more than anybody's experiencing. And I've refused to dial down my uh, understanding of what the Bible promises based on my experience. And you hit this place of tension where you look strange, but the other side is this. You contend and you contend and you contend and your heart begins to ache because you want something real from God. And the question becomes this. Will you stay in even when it's painful to your heart and you don't see the breakthrough? Will you refuse to adjust your theology and, and adjust your expectations? Will you refuse to, to, to buy into low bar Christianity and stay in under the pain until something shifts and something moves? And I've been in that place so many times where I'm crying out to God and the pain, it's, it's not just sort of imaginary or, yeah, my heart's aching, the, the sort of, you know, metaphor, but the pain is I can actually feel it. It's actually reverberating from my soul, the ache and longing for God. And the soul of man knows that it's... It's made for something more than just this place. The soul of man knows it's made for eternity. And you get in that place where your soul, like David in Psalm 42, he says, as the deer pants, my soul longs. And he says to his soul, why are you so downcast? He goes, hope in God. And he goes, my soul's downcast. He's back and forth. And, and you get to that place where you, you're experiencing this disquieting, downcast place in your soul. But it's because you are, you are absolutely you know, given to this idea that there's nothing that will satisfy you but God. And I want us to be a people, and I guess I don't really have a choice in the matter anymore. I'm, you know, I'm a little messed up. And, uh, and I want us to be a people that, that live with that ache. That don't settle into little dab will do you Christianity or low bar Christianity reinterpreting the scripture based on our lack of power, based on our lack of breakthrough. I, uh, you know, the scripture says, Peter, he says, uh, I think it's right for me to, to stir you up by way of reminder, to stir you up by way of reminder. And I, I was telling the, uh, the section leaders, just different stories. See, you know, some of you have had experiences with God that have marked your life, power encounters. Some of you have lived in seasons of visitation of heaven. Some of you have heard stories, but you've never actually tasted it. And, uh, and I know that the things that I've tasted are just, just a portion. They're, they're by no means the whole platter. What I've tasted is, has ruined me for anything less. And I remember as a, as a young man just hearing the stories and believing there's got to be more than what we're seeing. And, 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 and so I set my face as a, as a youth pastor to just get a group of young people to contend to see God do God's stuff, you know. To see God break in with power and, and, and really see God move with power and, and, and right in front of us. And uh, I was telling the section leaders, you know, I remember... And I, I tr that's how I trained these young people in my youth group. And I just trained them to be fiery intercessors crying out for God. And I remember I, so many times before the services, I would sit in my office. And for some reason, my vent 
was connected all the way across the, the building to this other room where we had our prayer meetings, where our, our little intercession room was. And uh, my vent, just, it was just one connection right over there. And so before the service, the young people would get together and they would pray for the services. And I remember sitting in my office so many times, and I'm getting myself ready, I'm just praying before the service, and all of a sudden, through my vent, I begin to hear, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 young people, and, and they're not praying, little dab will do me prayers. They're screaming, crying out to God with hunger and passion, and I can hear, it's as if they're praying for me. I can hear them coming, their prayers coming into my office through the vent. And I can remember so many times, I mean, this happened once, it happened a hundred times. I remember shaking, trembling under the presence of the Lord in my office because of the hunger that was in those young people for God. And we didn't, I mean, I didn't train them on a depth of theology. I didn't know it. I trained them on this. If you'll cry out to God, he'll come. That's what I trained them on. If you'll go after God, he'll come. If you'll get aggressive, you'll come. He'll come. And I can remember so many, so many nights. I don't want, is, is this okay if I just talk about a few stories? I don't want to. I can remember so many nights walking into that room and the, the atmosphere being electric. I mean, just electric. I'm not even talking about the seasons of the greatest visitations we had. I'm just talking about normal every week. Walk in the room, and I can remember the presence of the Lord. It was like God was all over the place. And I remember just getting like, you know, trembles and, and like, uh, like electrical charges, just feeling them all up and down my, my frame and feeling like, man, God is in here. And I can remember so many times standing up to, to minister and my legs just trembling under me, not because I felt like I had some word from heaven, but because hunger, the hunger of the young people had caused something to be released in the place, and the Lord was in the place. And I can remember so many times, I, just astounding things. I remember this one night, Mormon missionaries, I do not know why they came to our service. These Mormon missionaries, poor guys, they were sitting there on the back right through the service, and, and I remember that night we were talking about the, I remember just, I preached the message on the fire of God, <laughs> the power and the fire of God, and I said, we're going to lay hands on every person that wants prayer tonight. And I, the Lord came and charged that atmosphere, it was, it was so dynamic in that place, and, and, uh, you know, teenagers, they don't do the courtesy drop thing. If it's not real, they're like, what? You know, they just stand there. But when the power of God hits, they are some of the most susceptible in heart because they want to go as far as God will take them. They, that little radical streak in teenagers, they'll just, they'll just go after God. And I remember that night, we're praying for people. We have a line, and they're lined up, and we're praying for them in this line. And they are falling out so fast, we don't have ushers to, to catch them or move them. And kids are falling out, and they're piled up on top of people two and three deep. There is a mess of humanity. The power of God's hit everything, and the two little Mormon missionaries are back there on the right. And I remember just looking back there and just saying, you guys, you want prayer? And they're like, no, we're good. We're fine. And I just remember that place charged the presence of the Lord. That was just a regular... 
Who knows what night? Just random night. That was a plus one, you know. I remember, uh, I remember one of the last services I preached. Uh, I was, I was going to um, pray for the youth pastors that were getting ready to to take over. And uh, and I, I was I was talking about being gatekeepers, intercessors, prophetic intercessors for for revival. And and uh, I mean, I only had one message: revival. And so I had to teach it from eighty-seven different angles. <laughs> so I'm going to preach a message called "Take the Keys" about being gatekeepers. And I remember while I'm preaching, this is strange, but this is just normal. This is what happened. What happened every week. While I'm preaching along, about third row back, right here on my left-hand side, I remember something hits the crowd while I'm preaching. I mean, I wasn't like, here's something's going to happen now, bam. You know, I didn't do any. I'm just preaching along. And while I'm preaching, power is released right here on my left. And I watch eight or ten kids just begin to bow down under the weight of the presence of the Lord. They they, uh, bend over in intercession. They end up like on the floor, like in groanings and travails, just while I'm preaching. And I remember that night going to lay hands on the, the youth pastors and they were going to take over. And, and I remember walking across the stage and I get, I'm getting ready to touch them. And just as I get ready to touch their face, just to, just to, I'm not like slapping anybody, just putting my hand on them to impart whatever the Lord would give. I remember the power of God hit them so hard, they went shooting backwards. They, it, like, it looked like they jumped backwards. Bam! The power of God is released. And, and, and the, the presence of the Lord just hits them and they go flying. And I remember that night being so charged with the presence of God. That's what the Lord did for us all the time. Not special meetings. We lived in that. Just a, just a, it was just an open heaven. Just a, it was a little version. Little H open heaven. A little O open heaven. But it was. And those days, they, they ruined me. And I remember so many times the atmosphere just being pregnant with the presence of the Lord. And it wasn't because of anything great I was doing. It was because of the hunger that was in the hearts of the young people that were showing up. And we didn't, we, we, if I would have done it again, I would have done it differently. I would have trained them in much more. But I tell you what, we established a theology in revival that, that had that point down. And I've come to believe this, that hunger on earth will cause power to be released from heaven. Hunger on the earth will cause power to be released from heaven. I used to say it this way, the depth of your hunger will determine the depth of your visitation. See, God won't do our job and we can't do his. But there is a sovereign feature and a human feature that have to come together when it's when we're talking about the breakthrough of the Spirit of God, and one of the key facets, one of the key issues is hunger. Now, let me just say this. Most of us would say we're hungry for God. Most of us would say we want God. But there is a quality of desire that will cause you to no longer live normal. When real hunger is exploding in your heart, there's a quality of desire that will cause you to no longer live normal. You know, a a friend of mine, he said, you know, you can basically keep a nation under control. You can control any nation in the world, in the world, so long as they're satisfied. 
But when they quit being satisfied, when they begin, like for instance, if a famine hits a people, those people will be starting talking about revolt and revolution. (laughs) So long as people are satisfied, they stay numb and they'll stay status quo. And you can control them any way you want. But when people decide, I am no longer satisfied, something begins to shift and move. And, uh, and that's hunger. You know, every one of the, the big revival writers, they always say this. They say the same thing. That any revival, it begins when a people realize they have a need for God. That people must realize they need desperately need God and then secondarily they're not willing to continue go on living without God (laughs) they have a need and they're not willing to continue living the way they've been and I just I'm just in that place right now beloved where I I want to uh, stir us up and challenge us I want to call us into something that I've never seen modeled before and, you know, somebody said, well, brother, you sound like you're striving. And, I, and I'll say this. Certain times, holy aggression and striving that you kind of walk a fine line. <laughs> and I don't want to strive. And I've flirted with that line many times trying to find the balance. But there's a place of divine dissatisfaction that can rest on your soul where you're, you're happy in God, but you know there's more. You're alive in the spirit, but you're contending for more. You're not satisfied to just show up and go through the motions, plaster on a happy face, speak your Christianese, and just, you know, three fast, three song, nice service, brother, good message, pastor, and go home. You know, I cannot live that way. I won't live short-sighted, and I can't live only (laughs) long-sighted. We've got to become a people that marry these two realities. And so this is where I'm at tonight. I'm at this place of saying, let us deal with this. Have we maybe contended for a while and then begun to grow cold in our expectation? Have we begun to believe for breakthroughs and then when we didn't see them, the pain of that thing began to resonate and we pulled back to find comfort for our souls? Or maybe we were contending and, and, and believing God for something different, something more, and we began to sound strange to people, and the reproach became hard to bear. Or, or maybe we've cried out and contended, and we've just, after a while, you get disillusioned, and you just, you just pull back off of it. You kind of get a little bit doubt and unbelief. And my, my question to us is this. If those things have set in, could it be right for us to ask the Lord to repent, to ask the Lord to forgive us, to repent and ask the Lord to forgive us and ask the Lord to stir afresh a flame, to believe for something more than normal Christianity. I I can't live that way. I won't live that way. And I don't believe you wanted tidy Christianity or I don't think you'd be here. If you you just wanted it nice and neat, I I don't think you would have been here. I don't, why would you come here? say that I mean I, I'm trying to be nice about it but you're obviously here because you want something that's that's I believe this I believe there's something on the inside of you that tells you there's more there's got to be more the god of the bible the god of elijah 
the God of the Scripture, God of Jesus, the God of the historic revivals, Wales and, and Azusa Street and Cane Ridge and the Hebrides and, and just all of them. He's still real today. It's still real today. And I, I like what David said. He said, I would have fainted unless I believe I'd see the goodness of the Lord, not just in the next age, but in the land of the living in this age. That's what he's talking about. In this age. So I, I want to peek your holy imagination. I want, I want to prick your divine curiosity. And I want, to, I want to ask you, would it be good for us to ask the Lord to stir our hearts to hunger? If we will passionately, aggressively pursue God in hunger, there's, see, there's, there's two things. I, always, I, I know these ingredients are essential. It's holiness and hunger. And I believe we've, we proclaimed much on the holiness issue, and I'm not talking about that prune-faced version of holiness, and you know that. We're, we're talking about living alive in God with hearts that are buoyant, that, that enjoy the Lord and say no to sin. And, and I feel like we've got to lean that direction. I, I feel like in our community, there's a real lean for holiness. We don't want to touch the stuff that, that, that will defile us and, and cause us to be, uh, to be distant from the Lord. But the issue of hunger, I think this issue has got to become uh, forefront for us. Because I think our the rigors of our day in and day out and the, the uh, contending for the breakthrough at the end of the age and the preparing of the hearts to be messengers at the end of the age, that that at some times when we, when we emphasize that, that we can lose sight of getting continual breakthroughs of the Spirit of God. See, I remember in my youth ministry so many times where we would be in worship and there'd be visitors and and, and maybe one of the visitors would start manifesting a demon. I mean, that happened multiple, multiple, multiple times. What had happened was the presence of the Lord was rich in the room, and so the person comes in that's got the demon, and then, bam, the demon starts getting blown out of the person. Nobody's praying for them. Nobody's touching them. The presence of the Lord is in the place, and they start getting delivered. We had to have deliverance teams on, on call all the time. Every service, I had people looking for people to manifest, you know, if people were manifesting demons, they were looking and ready to deal with it. And what was happening? The presence of the Lord was in there like lightning, and so the guy comes in that's demonized, and start blowing it out of them. Beloved, we pray night and day. We should have that. What if the prayer room had electricity flowing through it? In the spirit, so the demonized walks in and bang. And, and, you know, we've got to have our section leaders have their little, you know, deliverance deputy guys. You know, it should be that way. And I'm not okay if it's not. I mean, I'm okay like, well, I'm, I'm not okay if it's not. So I'm just, I just want to stir your vision. I just want to call you to contend. I want to call you to hunger. I want to call you to remember the days when, when you experienced the visitation of the Lord. And I'm purposing in my heart to show up in these weekend meetings. I figure the weekend meetings is the best time because that's when the most people gather. But I'm purposing my heart to set 
I'm purposing in my heart to, to be set with aggression and belief, faith, believing God for breakthrough when we come together. Something to happen. I'm so, I'm not, I'm not like upset or mad at the Lord. I'm so grateful for everything God's given us. But there is, there is an itch inside of me, I promise you. It will only be scratched by heaven. A full room of people without the Spirit of the Lord will not scratch my itch, I promise you. I've preached in conferences with thousands. And, you know, people walk away and say, good message, brother. And I was in pain because the itch on the inside is so great. I want God to come. And I'm tired. I don't want every little flicker, every little flicker spark to be called a bonfire. I want the bonfire. I don't want just the spark. You know what I'm saying? We, we tend to dance around the little sparks and go, look at the bonfire. I tell you, we've not seen a bonfire yet. So this isn't tidy and this isn't organized and this isn't theologically whatever, one, two, three, but this is where my heart's at and this is my desire for us as a community. So I just wanted to share with us tonight. Let's go ahead and let's just stand. Help us marry these two realities. We need help. God, I pray where we've been cold, we've gotten into unbelief, where we've pulled back because of the pain of our hearts, I pray, God, grant us repentance. God, we cannot live without your presence. We cannot live without the manifestation of your spirit. You've wounded us so deeply. You've wounded me so deeply, God. Give us the grace to live between the tension, to go hard after the end of the age and understanding what you're doing in the earth and to continually contend for breakthroughs of the Spirit of God. God, I pray that there would be electricity that would fill our community because of the hunger of hearts that will not be denied. God, I pray that we'd be a people that would strike and 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 strike strike until you bring the deliverance that you desire to bring. God, I pray, mix the sovereign activity of heaven with holy dissatisfaction on the earth. And let fire fall and consume the sacrifice that places itself on the altar.